The following is brought to you by Will Harris, Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for February 23rd, 2022. It's your old pal, Justin Robert Young. So we're going to war. Now we are. Are we at war? These are the questions uh, being asked after Monday's actions by Vladimir Putin to recognize two areas of Ukraine as independent nations and to furthermore add, quote unquote, peacekeeping forces. Does that mean that Vladimir Putin has invaded Ukraine? Well, it's a conversation a little bit more complicated than you might think. And we get the fullest picture that we have seen thus far into the logic of why the Biden administration has drawn so much attention to this particular issue. One in which they have said over and over and over again, the United States will not actively participate with boots on the ground. We are also going to shift away from Ukraine because I know as much as it heartens me that that some folks who listen to this show appreciate me going through stuff and trying to organize my own thoughts and tell you guys about it with stuff that I am clearly not talented in (laughs) understanding or analyzing. And I would put foreign affairs in there. We're going to talk about things that I do very much like to talk about. And I am uh, a little bit more educated and that is small town politics. This is the best part of the midterms. The two greatest part about the midterms is number one, the ads, because you get a lot of them. And and some of them are low rent, made in iMovie. Some of them are super glossy, but you get a ton of ads. And, and the ones that stick out, stick out for a reason. The second best reason is that a lot of these races, especially while we're in the primary season, are retail politics, especially if you are somebody trying to make a name for yourself, break out of the pack a little bit. You got to do some stuff that you wouldn't otherwise do. You got to go to a few cities that may or may not be something that you would normally go to. And we had a very odd debate this week in Ohio to Senate candidates, one a Republican, in fact, the leading Republican debating a Democrat who is seen as the underdog. And what happened was just ridiculous, 
just ridiculous. And you're going to hear all of that sound. Also, Andrew Heaton joins the show. He wasn't able to make us for our triad episode, but we will talk with the old boy Heaton a little bit later in the program. Burn On Monday, Vladimir Putin gave a speech legitimizing two areas of eastern Ukraine as independent states. These are regions that have contained fighting between separatist groups and the Ukrainian government for a while now. More notably, Russia moved forces into those regions with Putin calling them peacekeepers. And that was explosive enough. What followed was something that quite possibly raised more eyebrows, specifically if you are in the camp that Vladimir Putin indeed is going to take the step to invade Ukraine. Not annex a little bit, not nibble on the edges. No, he's going right to Kiev. He is taking over the country. What Vladimir Putin said, was kind of open musing. Why Ukraine? And to another extent, seemingly every part of the Russian Empire that was made a republic through the Soviet Union, by the way. Not even just what happened post-fall of the Soviet Union. What happened during the Soviet Union. Any piece of Russia that was cracked off into a republic that was part of the USSR, Putin challenged. Here is... That clip. We have a very important issue. Why did we have to meet any national ambitions, you know, on the suburbs of the former Russian Empire? Why did we, um, why did we have some great rights to these uh, various territories? Why did we have to transfer? Uh, the rights to the territories we have been historically part of the Russian Empire, and they've received even statues of the national territorial units. Why? Why? Again, I am asking you, why did we have to be so generous? Even some ardent nationalists would not even dream of this, and then even give those republics the right to leave this union without any terms and conditions. This is just madness. Now, the Biden State Department has been saying that Russia was not simply going to recognize those now recognized by the Russian Federation regions or fortify them with soldiers. They have said that Russia, again, will invade As recently as last Friday, the president himself said Putin had made the decision to do so. We had the secretary of defense on television this weekend saying it was, quote, highly likely, unquote, that we would see tanks rolling toward the Ukrainian capital of Kiev. The United States wrote to the U.N. Human Rights Council this week to tell them that Russia had a quote unquote kill list of Ukrainian diplomats and government officials to execute or imprison during this invasion. That is about 
as stark a relief as the United States can provide for what they believe is going to happen. And again, they have said it over and over and over again. That is what they believe. That Russia will invade Ukraine and that Vladimir Putin has already made the decision to do so. So the question that has to be asked based on the actions that happened on Monday is simple. Was that an invasion? Vladimir Putin putting Russian forces in these newly recognized regions? The answer from the Biden administration? Now, there will be sanctions. There was an executive order barring Americans from doing business with these two areas. On Tuesday afternoon, Biden announced a few freezes on Russian oligarchs. There is a bank that will no longer be able to deal with uh, raising money for Russia. However, the U.S. did stop short on their biggest threat, and that was to remove Russia from the SWIFT bank, which is the international connection point. Basically, it would have required a gigantic consensus from effectively the entire Western world, and that has yet to happen. Why? Well, technically... Russian soldiers have been a part of that region for a while now. That is at least what is coming out of the Biden administration. So this isn't exactly an invasion because they're not moving into parts of the country that they were not already in. Speaking of Blinken, is he still going to meet with his Russian counterpart this week? Will Biden still meet with Putin? Hey, by the way, let's go ahead and flash back to January when Biden made what he called a gaffe, saying that a minor incursion of Ukraine wouldn't trigger big sanctions. If it invades, and it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, et cetera. But if they actually do what they're capable of doing with the force amassed on the border, it is going to be a disaster for Russia. Unless Joe Biden was describing another kind of minor incursion, it seems like he didn't so much gaffe as he told the truth. Uh, uh, for those who remember, the Biden administration spent the the next 48 hours explaining to the Ukrainian government that that they didn't exactly mean what it sounded like they meant. Although now it kind of feels like that's what they meant. And, and the Ukrainian government probably knows that. Now, here's where Biden's got a problem. Congress, who is out of town because, of course, is beginning to lose patience. And this is a bipartisan situation. Even Biden ally, Democrat or sorry, Delaware Senator Chris Coons, he's also a Democrat, called for the big hammer to be dropped ASAP after the Monday moves. So what's happening to the people that are actually involved in all this? Well, Ukrainian President Zelensky urged everybody to become. We are dedicated to a political and diplomatic settlement, and we are not falling into any provocations. Our borders well protected. We've built a system of territorial defense. Our partners supporting us. Ukraine retains the right for individual and collective self-defense. 
We can very well distinguish the provocations from the attack of the aggressor's troops. The truth is with us. We are dedicated to the peaceful diplomatic solution, and we will follow this and only this path. We are on our land. We are not afraid of anybody and anything. We owe nothing to anybody, and we will not give anything to anyone, and we are confident about it. Meanwhile, as of now, it seems as if our European allies are holding strong, maybe even in some areas stronger than us. The new German chancellor halted the certification of the Nord 2 pipeline connecting Russia to Germany, a massive source of money for some of the petro billionaires out of Russia. And because it's an oligopoly, the government of Russia. This puts the Biden administration in a bind. On one hand, a more aggressive posture from Putin legitimizes what everybody's been saying. He's a bigger threat than, let's say, ding-dong independent podcasters might have led you to believe. This isn't simply annexation, it's invasion. But, on the other hand, if you had this pegged from the jump, why not do what the country that is about to be invaded is asking you to do and hit Russia with sanctions immediately? Furthermore, now that there's more evidence, what's stopping you now? Does this begin to look a little bit like the situation that unfolded in Syria where red line after red line is crossed because you believe that deterrence are threats and not promises. And let's shift it back to America. Unless American troops get shipped to Europe, more so than active duty troops that are already, you know, rotating through Europe. No one in the U.S. cares about Ukraine. And I would say many people don't care about Russia. I mean, honestly, it, it took the concept that the American president was a literal puppet of the leader of that country for us to really muster up much of a care for Russia. The reality is the country isn't as rich as China and it doesn't have the same military capability. Yes, it has the the big bombs, but in terms of any kind of ground fighting, they're just not the same beast. And we trade with them, but not to the level that we do our frenemy across the Pacific. This is a highlighted problem. Because the Biden administration has highlighted it. Otherwise, it would just be buried amongst the international news. The reason this has been public, according to one article in the New York Times that came out on Tuesday, is to keep NATO and Europe united. Instead of allowing Putin to sow discord amongst a union already jolted by, among other things, Trump, the Afghanistan debacle, the French submarine tiff. Biden sought to flood the zone with as much information as possible, both, both privately and publicly, about Russia's military buildup. According to the Times, this has been going on since November. And so far, it's worked. NATO has been resolute. 
Europe seems ready to threaten sanctions. But here's the big question. Will that still be the case if Putin simply stops here? An advancement into Ukrainian territory, although disputed, and some threatening words. But if he doesn't move tomorrow, and he doesn't move next week, and he doesn't move in a month, how long will everybody's patience last? How long before the dire warnings of invasion that we have heard now in public for at least a month, and that apparently all these NATO allies have been hearing for months, plural. How long before those ring hollow? I want to highlight a tweet that circulated uh, last night. It's from just over two years ago. Amidst the Democratic primary, Joe Biden tweeted the following. Vladimir Putin doesn't want me to be president. He doesn't want me to be our nominee. If you're wondering why, it's because I'm the only person in this field who's ever gone toe-to-toe with him. Well, in terms of the world stage, upon the request of the American president, the floor is cleared. It is only Biden and Putin now. And I would say, for his own sake, he better hope he's as good as he says he is. When we did our big Ohio GOP primary breakdown uh, a couple of weeks ago, I don't remember when it is. Lots happening right now. Uh, we spent a lot of our time on J.D. Vance, even though he is polling third right now, essentially tied for second. He has gotten the lion's share of the national press and has a lot more of an interesting backstory. The leader in this race, as of right now, is Josh Mandel. Politico has a great profile of him. He's one of those Republican politicians that understood where the the tides were flowing. And despite the fact that he wasn't always a rock-ribbed MAGA man, he has certainly trended more toward there and is seen as a bit of a chameleon, but obviously popular enough with the MAGA crowd that he is currently leading. So this week, he did a thing that is is just, I mean, you gotta love the midterms. They're just so ridiculous. He debated Democratic Senate primary candidate Morgan Harper. She is a black woman. Now, I'm going to tell you that you're not going to hear a lot of her because Mandel is the 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 one who dominates the the stage here. And because you can't see what I'm going to play for you, this is a very small room. Think of a a rec room that seems like it has maybe three or four rows of what I would guesstimate based on the framing of the shot is maybe 12 seats each. And that's overestimating it. It's a small room. I'm going to also say from the context clues that you're about to hear that this is in 
a African-American neighborhood. So before we even get into anything that Mandel is saying, there is a fight between the moderator, a woman in attendance, and Mandel. Mr. Mandel, uh, in your previous debate, you referred to Black Lives Matter as thugs. Uh-huh. And then he come in the black oh, community. Oh, hey, hey, you're not doing that. Put him out. Please. You mean like put no, him out like no, with, a, no. with, a, with a bullet? Mr. Mandel. What do you mean, put, Mr. Him what do you mean put him out? Mr. Mandel. Ask him to leave. Mr. Mandel. Oh, I thought you this don't was America. America. The black hey. I thought this was America. Hey. Debate free. hey, sister, listen to me. Don't, don't do that. I got this. I got this. Don't do that. They shouldn't have let him in. No, no, this is America. He can be here. Don't do that. Don't embarrass me. I'm not no, embarrassing no, you. No, you don't, don't But do to that. bring that white man no, in the black to, community hey, like that. You don't have to leave, man. I, I, you, I, I'm finished. Okay. But please. don't you suck up to him. Listen. He's listen, in the black I'm community. Doing, I'm doing my job. And I'm He's calling my parents thugs. Ma'am. Make I'm, him I'm, answer I'm the, the moderator. Question. I'm in charge. Yeah. I want you to sit down and be quiet. Let me tell you something, ma'am. Mr. Mandel. I put my life in the hands of young black guys. Mr. I had young black men put their life in my hand in the United Mr. States Mandel. Marine Corps and two tours in I'm Iraq. Asking you to so stop, don't stand sir. there and lecture me. Those are my brothers. Whether they were black or they were Mr. white Mandel. or they were Hispanic or they were Asian, those are my brothers in the Marine Corps. So Mr. don't stand there and lecture me about race and color. Mr. We Mandel. put our lives in each other's Mr. hands. Mandel. Those are my brothers as Marines. Mr. Mandel, I'm the moderator over here. I'm asking you to pay attention to me. And ma'am, you in the calling post? Will you please stop? Mr. Mandel. Mr. Mandel. There is something comedically hilarious about that final Mr. Mandel. It's just, it has such a rhythmic kind of percussion, and then it ends. Bah! Big finish. We're not done. Uh, Mandel has some, uh, some words for Harper. Of course, if you are a progressive, young, female politician, you are going to be compared to the most famous, young, progressive, female politician in our modern worldview. That's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And Mandel's got a comparison between AOC and Harper. And I told that story earlier about being at Town Hall, the bar and restaurant down the street where I told folks that I'm going to debate Morgan Harper. She's like AOC, almost sm only smarter. A after hearing that answer, I actually think she's like AOC, only dumber. Whoa. Because the reality Whoa. is... You know, whenever there's an insult and you stumble over the insult, like, it just adds, oh, chef's kiss. There's just something about awkward politician speak that just, just gives me such joy and power. Uh, and nothing compares to this. This is, I, I, I don't even know how to set it up. I don't even really know what to say. Just here's the clip. Morgan, do you know the only country on the whole planet where Africans were not brought as slaves? The Jewish state of Israel. It should surprise nobody that Harper refused to shake Mandel's hand at the end of all of this. Now, in watching these clips, 
I kind of reflected back on the idea of like, okay, well, how have politics changed? How have Trumpian politics kind of changed? Because right now in the Republican side, I don't think it would benefit any of Mandel's opponents, J.D. Vance or or uh, anybody else, to really go after Mandel for being kind of a loon here. If anything, they would only draw attention to the fact that he was kind of Trumpian. I think the idea that he went to this area where it's a debate he didn't have to do, you know, he doesn't have to do this, but he sought out a fight. He got into a fight. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, it was awkward. I think that's a positive for the Trumpian aesthetic in a way that I don't believe it would have been eight years ago. I don't believe, I I believe that a Republican who did that would be attacked by his primary opponents of, oh my God, what a clown show. Can we please get somebody with temperament to Washington? I do think that that is part of the meta right now is demonstrate you will fight and you will say the thing no matter what. And Mandel did that, even if it is totally ridiculous. As for Harper, well, I think we kind of saw why she's in the background, right? If you see somebody throwing haymakers, you kind of got to throw haymakers back. I, I, I don't know if there is any honor in humility with politics like this. You got to stand up just like that lady in the audience stood up. I mean, even in the Democratic primary. I think that there is uh, uh, there is a reward, especially on the, on the progressive side, of going out and fighting. Fighting. Fighting is the new meta. Who wants to fight? Normally, friends, uh, what I do here is direct you to takepoliticsseriously.com. That is where you can get the bonus episodes of this show. $3 uh, club, uh, that is uh, at the $3 level, you get a bonus podcast on Monday morning. Uh, That's the Sunday, Sunday, Sunday show. And then our late edition, that comes out on Thursday. That is the latest news that we cover during the week because our Friday show is prepared earlier. And and you can look uh, very much. I love your support on all that. So thank you, thank you, everybody. And as we gear up to to go out and travel for the primaries, trust me, your support is necessary. However, I am going to commandeer the rest of this ad slot so I can tell you guys about World's Greatest Con. And let me tell you your role in this new show that we are rolling out right now. About two or three years ago, I had the desire to step up my podcasting game. Previous to that, I was very much a student of the live-to-tape talk radio style of podcasting. Uh, This is a very functional 
way of doing things. And at its highest level, you can be extraordinarily successful. For example, you know, Daily Tech News Show, which is, I mean, I'm I'm a part of and and is, you know, the the Tom Merritt Tech News franchise is something that is extraordinarily important to me in in the history of podcasting and really my podcasting story uh, applies that. So this is not to say that I I don't believe in it because I still do, but there was something that I wanted to develop, something that I was weak in that I wanted to get strong in, and that manifestation was raise the dead, researching, writing, producing, doing all of it in-house. Now that stuff takes a lot of time. You know, there's a reason why World's Greatest Con, or sorry, Raise the Dead is only a handful of episodes. You can binge all of it in a day. Same thing with World's Greatest Con. But the time and effort that goes into these oftentimes 30 to 45 minute pieces of audio are immense. For me to build a production company, I need to have the financial assistance. And the financial assistance that I needed came from PX3. I will forever be grateful for you, this audience, for the fact that you guys have given me the platform to try and spread my wings and create more content that you guys will like. And if you like this show and you like to raise the dead, I guarantee you that you will like World's Greatest Con. It is hosted by Brian Brushwood. We co-created it. We have worked on every step of this together. It is the same production value. I would say better than you uh, either here on this show or on Raise the Dead, simply because I continue to evolve as a producer. The second season begins next Monday, February 28th. Many of you already heard the preview that we did on that we threw into the feed uh, this Monday. I think it's exceptional. Having worked on it for many months, I think it is yet another step forward for Dog and Pony Show Audio. I believe that what we have coming, not only with that show in future seasons, but also other shows that are in development is really rad. The talent we have brought in to help bolster the effort is... I think exceptional. None of it begins without you, though. So while I ask you to go subscribe to World's Greatest Con, and and I do believe you will enjoy it when season two begins on February 28th, just know that none of it is possible without the folks who support this show. Thank you very much. TakePoliticsSeriously.com is where you can go to continue that journey. Our guest today needs no introduction because he is one of our favorite guests of all time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the program, Andrew Heaton. Good to be back. Thank you for having me. 
Now, amongst everything that is uh, going on in foreign policy with uh, Ukraine and Russia. Why did we buy that that timeshare in Crimea? That was a horrible move I in know, retrospect. We're not going to get know. that money back. I mean, yeah, especially now we're going to have to change the currency twice. Right. Uh, <laughs> Uh, there is uh, another what would normally be the number one story in American politics, and that is the naming of a new mm-hmm. uh, Supreme Court justice. Uh, so we have brought in the the man who invented Judge Week uh, mm-hmm. to help us uh, uh, break things down. And this one has a little bit more. I, I, I am about as close as you can get to an attorney without hitting six figures or being an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> down to the suits. <laughs> right. Yeah. But otherwise, I'm, all, I'm like a proto attorney. I'm almost there. I feel like you could slip into an attorney convention very oh, yeah. easily. For sure. Yeah. 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 yeah like yeah. no one would know. And if for they years. exist, hit me up. I'll come. It sounds like fun. Uh, I oh, like totally. attorneys. I like them. They, you could argue with them. They don't get mad at you. <laughs> uh, there has been a controversy around the as yet uh, uh, unnamed Supreme Court justice that uh, Joe Biden is uh, said that he would name within the next uh, week. And that is that it's going to be a black woman. Right. This has spurred a lot of conversation, uh, uh, some of which has been pointed that this is a uh, racist move at the most inflammatory. Uh, The defense of it has been, well, you know, we've always had slots on the Supreme Court. There's the lady seat and the Jew seat uh-huh. and the and the Catholic seat. Like, it's just, we're just making a new Gosh, seat. That almost makes me want them to like carve sigils into it like Game of Thrones <laughs> where it's like, here's the heart. Well, they're all Harvard or Yale, right? All, I, yeah. think, I think everybody except Amy Coney, uh, uh, Amy Barrett, I believe is Harvard or Yale. Oh, really? Uh, and I'm, she's Notre Dame? I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. She, she, she's one of us, Justin. She's yeah, a commoner. Finally. Yeah, a yeah. commoner who only yeah. went to Notre Dame. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, my initial take on it is I think it was a dumb political move. I mean, this is more your department knowing the actual politics of it and the, the, uh, the logistics and tactics on the ground. I tend to be really yeah. thinky. That said though, what kind of amazes me is if I were Joe Biden and I wanted to appoint a black lady to the Supreme court, I would have gone, we are going to pick the best person for this job. Yeah. We're going to do it based on merit. And then we're going to pick a black lady. We're not going to say that part out loud because I think that first of all, it would be more beneficial to her uh, in that whoever it is will not would be, be viewed yeah. as, as, as affirmative action kick. Um, you're right to point out this is something that's happened for a while. Uh, well, here before yeah. you want the explanation of why, why it happened the way that it happened. I would love it. Yeah. Because we're thinking of this in a void that Joe Biden just said, I am going to name a black woman. He did uh, not say I'm just he did not just say he's going to name a black woman. Same with him saying that he was going to name a black uh, uh, vice president, a black or a woman vice president, and then most likely a black woman. Uh, he said those in the primaries. So to be president, to make these decisions, you need to shore up your constituency so you can make it through the primaries, mm-hmm. so you can make it through the general. So these are him backing up promises yeah, I, that he made before. Hats off that he both remembers them and intends to <laughs> tends to honor them. That there's something to be said in that well, regard. Uh, uh, there are many powerful folks, uh, uh, up to and including Jim Clyburn, who would, say, who would I think not the, the, let him forget. The gentleman from South made. Carolina will will, yeah. will remember whatever smoky backroom deal was required. Um, you're, you're also right to point out, uh, because I I normally share the uh, kind of reflexive 
Republican, conservative, libertarian antipathy towards identity politics. Yeah. I very much am in agreement that we should attempt to move toward, towards a colorblind society and, and look at people based on merit rather than the color of their skin. I am very much there with you. Um, one of the things that, however, has been left out of that really angry kick against Joe Biden is that Trump did just that. I mean, when, yeah. when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, very quickly, he's like, well, I'm going to appoint a woman for this seat, right? Well, that's the same thing that we're talking yeah. about, Is is but it really didn't count with Republicans because, well, they were getting a, a slot on the Supreme Court, and it was their guy making the choice that didn't care about it. And then Reagan did the same thing when he appointed uh, um, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor. I mean, yeah. he, like, uh, who, who uh, shout out to Reagan for appointing the first lady Supreme Court justice, but he, he plotted that out for everybody. So it's not like this is only a Democratic hat trick. Um, no. The, the, the other things that I think are worth pointing out there is uh, I, I do not know how to measure a Supreme Court justice's competency in metric tonnage. Like, I, I feel like like if we were just comparing aluminum prices, it'd be very easy to go, well, that's 32 cents a pound, but that's 43 cents a pound, dimwit. Yeah. Absolutely go with a 32. Supreme Court justice is a lot harder to do because you're you're looking at a, uh, a, a resume of where they went to school, where they clerked, the decisions they've made, and so on and so forth, right? So I, I think that it probably would be more efficacious to think of it as a threshold that you're going to hit. Uh, and if you're within that threshold, then there is a little bit of flavor picking to it. Um, where where I do find it odd with the the black lady specifically, and, and that being the thing that we want to try and get on the Supreme Court is, um, I would think that race would actually race and gender both would would be of lesser concern in regards to intellectual diversity on the Supreme Court than it would for policymaking. Policymaking, I think that that makes a lot more sense for because you're actually writing laws, you're making laws. The the two fights that they're really having on the Supreme Court are or the, the the big fight is living constitutionalism versus originalism. Yeah. And that basically means, are you trying to strictly adhere to a textual analysis of the Constitution as it was written at the time it was passed? Or are you able to view the individual words as a bit more variable in order to better comport with our, our current situation? That's the big fight and, there. And, and as uh, uh, I would encourage everybody to uh, uh, re-listen to to Judge Week. Thank you. Uh, because it is, uh, you know, it's fascinating to see not only the fact that everybody who is on either side of this argument can understand the other one, but also when they describe it, it's like, okay, living constitutionalists uh, are like, well, this is the only way that it can be done. Anybody who does anything beyond this is absolutely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And then the, uh, or sorry, the, the, the strict constitutionalists say that the, the folks who are the living document are like, no, you're doing that now to to right. read words in a modern context is to uh, adapt things. So yeah, it's I mean, like there, there, there is there is a, a, a fascinating kind of divide there. There is. And I'll add that having so for, for Judge Week, the, re the reason that happened, that was a year and a half ago now uh, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, everybody started comment, like basically talking about the Supreme Court vacancy as, oh, red team gets to put in a red team quarterback. Yes. That was how everybody, um, full disclosure, my dad's a federal judge. I grew up hanging out with 10th Circuit court <laughs> jurists at, at, uh, at barbecues and such. Yeah. Um, and so I'm I'm kind of, I, I have thoughts on the judiciary and I, I, I know it to be far more nuanced and a different fight than just Republican versus Democrat. I'll add Literally every judge I've ever met, and I've met a lot at this point, would be horrified if their career was portrayed as that. 
Democrat or Republican, both, they would they would be be horrified to be seen as a a political partisan puppet. activist yeah. that, that was going in independent of their jurisprudential ability. And I'll add by the end of Judge Week, because what I wanted to do was go, hey, this is the actual thing that's happening right here. This is the real fight that's happening as understood by the jurists. I left feeling kind of good about it because everybody I talked to, I, I was like, you guys are on top of your stuff. Like there's there's not like dippy moron judges at the Supreme Court level. There are dippy moron senators and dippy moron yes. legislators and yes. a lot of them. There's not a lot of dippy more like, and I'm not saying you can't disagree with them and, and heinously disagree with them, but in terms of just a functioning branch, the judiciary is the last actual functioning, respectable branch of the American government. And I felt much better. And the thing that I have a big problem with, it turns out, is judicial activism. And both living constitutionalists and originalists would would swear that they are not judicial activists and would also decry judicial activism as a perversion of the, the jurisprudence and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting to kind of see where the, the modern idea of the Supreme court being a political organ is, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and how much it's like, I've, I've always kind of noted this, that like, there's also something that happens when you're, when you're appointed to something for life, that like I, I don't think gets factored into these conversations that we have mm-hmm. of like, oh, I don't know, like a Republicans going in. It's like, yeah, but like what happens 30 years from now? Like what happens 20 years from now? What, like what, where is their perspective? Where is their ju- uh, judicial sense mm-hmm. of, of all this? Now, that being said, the new justice, whomever she might be is going to enter, I think, in a fairly interesting phase of of, of the Supreme Court because we might actually see a material change in the defining uh, Supreme Court argument of our lifetime before either of us were born. Right. Uh, and that is Roe versus Wade. And that might come down, uh, I think, maybe before. No, not before. But still, she she will, uh, uh, you know, not have uh, not, not be in the, in, in the majority unless there is some sort of split decision there. But like, uh, I, I wonder what our conversations look like in let's imagine that Roe versus Wade is either weakened or, or ruled against Mm -hmm. uh, based on this Mississippi case. If you're not aware of it, I wonder what our conversations look like when the only thing anyone ever talked about with the Supreme court is gone, whether or not you like the outcome. Yeah. Like, do we just look at, do we kind of like like move on and now we'll start yelling at politicians finally to make laws no, uh, based on these that, things that we care about? I, I think or? The, the two reasons that, that the Supreme Court is understood as red versus blue. And like I'll acknowledge that there is a certain amount of partisan inertia, which is or at least partisan correlation, which is there like like people that are um, there's a lot of people. Um, and I don't know if this is Republican or Democrat, but I hear it from my Democrat friends more. That judges are, uh, you know, like, like let, let's quit pretending that they're not partisan. They are partisan. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, what, what bothers me about that is that that that's, I mean, ultimately the same authoritarian mindset of this is all smoke and mirrors, power is power kind of Trump demagoguery that I fought against him. Uh, I don't think that about the Supreme Court. I, I think it's kind of dangerous rhetoric to view judges as no, ultimately we are putting in partisans and anything else is lies. I, that's not where I want to be. I don't want the judiciary functioning like that. I don't think it currently does. Um, the reason that we tend to view it as a a separate, like super Senate, 
Yeah. Uh, is two reasons. One, because the legislature is so dysfunctional that there is now administrative spillover going to the executive and judicial branches. Yeah. Where uh, the executive branch has just swollen over the last 30 years because so much is now happening through the federal register, through just uh, executive orders and agency regulation because the, the House and Senate are no longer doing anything. And the same thing's happening to a lesser extent in the judicial branch. So the ju- judicial branch is now doing more law than it would have done several years ago. But I think the main reason is people are just illiterate when it comes to these issues. And I, I put that pretty squarely uh, on journalists because I, I will read court um, court reporting and it's horrible. Like it's truly stupid stuff. Like How so? Uh, so, so for example, leading up to 2020 or the, the, the 2020 election, um, you know, there's all this stuff going on about uh, this state wants to uh, get rid of, I don't know, a, a, a early ballots, things like that, right? Yeah. Um, I remember reading a story about um, Supreme Court sides with Republicans or something like that yeah. on, on like, and I don't, let's say Georgia. I don't remember the specifics on this. Yeah. And and if you read it, what it very much looks like is um, the state, Georgia, calls the Supreme Court and goes, we would like to be pro-Republican in our election. And the Supreme Court went, well, we are Republican and therefore we are pro-Republican. Yes, yeah. we side with the Republicans. The Republicans get plus two in the upcoming election. Yeah. And what, what was actually happening was there was a fight between um, the secretary of state in the state and the governor of the state over whether or not they could do early voting or mail-in voting or something like that. But basically the, the argument was one, does the federal constitution preempt a state constitution in matters of, uh, in matters of federal elections and two within that state constitution uh, according to their state constitution, where does the buck stop in terms of this? Does the legislature do it or does the executive branch do it according to their own laws? Yeah. It, pretty clear too. Like this was not soupy stuff. That's why the Supreme Court did it. And it wasn't It wasn't a divided decision. It was like, uh, you know, I, I think uh, uh, everybody but one voted in favor of, of quote unquote Republicans. The reason the Democrats did that was not because they were pro-Republican. It's yeah. because they all looked at the goddamn law books. Yeah. And, 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 and by Democrats, is. you mean the justices appointed by exactly. a Democratic that's president. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And, and I find that that's very common with law reporting is that you get somebody that does not, I, I mean, I, I was, I was bulking at that reporting because it was willfully ignorant. I mean, it was just, they grabbed a, they grabbed somebody whose job was normally to write about partisan politics and then went, I don't know, go, go look at this judge thing. And like, didn't, I mean, they, they, they didn't listen to judge week. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> and, and I'll tell you, they also clearly didn't read any of the stuff. They, they did not read the actual, because you can, you can go, this is all publicized stuff. You can read it. And by the way, judges speak way better English than lawyers do because they're not trying yeah. to impress you. Yeah. They're already judges. They've already made it. They're, they don't they're, have, they're, they are yeah. kings yeah, of they don't, their profession. There's, there's, and by the way, they serve for life. Right. They, they have no impetus to, to let you know they speak Latin. They don't care. Yeah. So when you read their briefs, they're pretty good. Like you'll, there will be the phrases that you don't know, right? Yeah. But, but for the most part, you can read it and follow along. The person had clearly not even done that. It was being paid to report on this. And so I, I think that, that happens, and as a result, people are basically told subconsciously or directly that that jurists are just appointed senators, and their and their job is to be this corollary to the Senate of super lawmakers, and they're not lawmakers. No judge yeah. claims to be a lawmaker, and if they are, they should be shot. Judges' jobs are to clarify the law. This this gets into where I think you can have if you're this is this is a little journalism uh, uh, thing. If you want to show bias without 
being quote unquote biased, you play the game of, of classification. So it's like in an era when Donald Trump was being very mean to journalists and journalists by and large did not like Donald Trump between whatever their, their personal politics were. And the fact that Donald Trump was like making sport of making fun of them. Uh, anything that happened in the Trump white house was Trump white house right. blank. I, I Trump, also noticed during- Trump uh, 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 makes all hunting legal or whatever. Right. And it's like, it's like, okay, well the, the, Environmental Protection Agency right. issued yeah, yeah. some ruling that usually nobody would ever care about, but you can say this because it's Trump White House or it's like Republicans align, you know, Republicans held up by Supreme Court, not Secretary of State of Georgia uh, uh, upheld right, or rejected right, right, by, yeah. by, by by Supreme Court. Because- or, or like the, the other one that, that I, I was almost impressed by was I remember it was like, I don't know, the New York Times, the Washington Post or something. And it was referencing, you know, Rand Paul used the filibuster comma. Uh, a tactic created during the Jim Crow years to keep segregation in place, comma, to keep going. And I was like, they never do that with minimum wage. They never say minimum wage, comma, founded by white supremacists to make sure <laughs> that white people could compete with black people in labor, comma. By the way, look that up. That's historically true. Uh, they don't do that. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think that, that kind of well, stuff that, does happen. Even then, that that I think is 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 another. That's another thing. That that is that is adding a tactic. Mm. You know, adding adding the, the selective history you're just, that you're comes just along. Saying like yeah, the, like yeah, the the just clarification or or or, or classification, as you said, classification. Yeah. So it's like now, if Joe Biden, uh, at least as we record this right now, who knows in a year if it's going to be different, that is very well liked by uh, journalists, or at least more so than uh, uh, you know Donald Trump was. If something happens in the EPA, it'll be EPA relaxes, uh, you know, whatever right. thing, as yeah. opposed to Joe Biden release, uh, you know, relaxes, whatever, whatever regulation like that's it. And part of it also is is beyond the partisanship of it, which I think we we tend to focus on. There's also just the uh, knowledge of the readership of it. You know, one of the tenets of journalism is how does this affect my reader? How can I bring it as close to them mm. as possible? Let them understand that it's possible. If I just give people the phone book, then they're right. not going to read it. They're not going to understand it. And every everything that we've done research-wise is totally wasted. It's the mm. reason why newspapers, newspaper design exists. Like not because art people wanted to make the words look fun, but because <laughs> it's more readable. It's right. their scientific demonstration of like, okay, well, this is why it works because your brain shuts off when you see too much gray space. By the way, for everybody who's starting Substack letters, for the love of God, break stuff up every once in a while. Like you all need to learn a lesson in 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 uh, you know, magazine and newspaper layout. But I can see from that perspective that you're like, oh, okay, well, the average reader cares more about Republicans and Democrats than they do about secretaries of state or Supreme courts. Mm. Uh, but I think that you can very I much will, go I too far. I will gently rebuff you can, that. You can, by, you, can, you can go too far. You, you could clarify that. Like, I, I think I, if I were report, I, I would probably not bring up Democrat versus Republican if I were reporting on the Supreme court normally, because I, I do think that's a yeah. correlation rather oh, than causation. Also, let me put but, this one other thing out is that reporters don't write headlines. Right. Uh, uh, editors write headlines. This was the headline. This was like, yeah. like this was the description, yeah. but the headlines for sure though, right? Like one of the, yeah. you, you came on a bonus episode, which is really fun about six months ago where uh, I was like, all right, when, and I, I wasn't, a, I very much opposed to Trump preferred Biden yeah, yeah, over yeah, Trump, yeah. get that out there. 
But like when Trump screwed up, it was like Trump screws up. That's the headline. When Biden screws up, it's challenging week for Biden. Yeah. <laughs> like, like he's Dad the, he's the uh, protagonist we're rooting for. And yeah. uh, like, and I've, I've noticed that, that like, uh, like the, the example you gave that was really good was like when, um, when McCarthy and Boehner, I don't remember who it was, couldn't get a budget passed. It was like Republicans failed to pass budget. Yeah. Here about four months ago when the, the same thing happened in the house with the exact oh, the way, same. It's still happening. Yeah. They, the, they, they just kicked the can yeah, down the road the, the, again. But the, but the headlines, again, because they couldn't pass it because the Tea Party had an yeah. insurgency, all that. Republicans failed to pass it. But Democrats, it was progressive stand up in budget <laughs> fight. They're like, oh, OK. Yeah. So that, yeah, definitely there's there's some color that, that seeps into the headlines. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know. I don't know. I mean, this, uh, of course, I finally successfully taken the Supreme Court conversation and turned it into the only real story that ever <laughs> exists, journalism. Uh, but uh, uh, I, I think the Supreme Court is a uniquely interesting case because I think there is a lot of really, really, really good judicial reporting. Like you don't have to scratch the surface far to get, especially in the blogosphere and in podcasting, excellent mm, yeah. coverage there's, there's of, some really of, good of this kind of there, stuff. Agree, yeah. Uh, what has not the happened- Lawfare, I want to say, is pretty good, yeah. What what has not happened is had it trickle up to mm. kind of uh, uh, what we understand to be our our kind of lead dogs in, turn of, in, in terms of the journalistic conversation. Can, can I give my quick stump speech now that we're going back to the Supreme Court on, yes. on diversity hires within these fields? Please do. Um, my position on, on affirmative action in general is I think all things being equal, you want to use that as a tiebreaker. That makes sense to me. If you've got a limited amount of spaces that you're giving to college students or something and you go, all right, these two are equally qualified. They're both, they both pass the threshold. Let's err on the side that makes whatever body we're creating more diverse. The idea being that more ideas and perspectives are good. That makes sense to me. I'm on yeah. board with that. Um, the problem that I have so often in terms of its execution is I do not think the people that are oftentimes proposing that are good faith actors. And the reason I say that is I find that a lot of the people that are championing diversity, man, they have a real problem with diversity of thought. They do not like that at all. I find that to be pretty common within the academic sphere at the moment. Yeah, uh, A lot of our, our friends in journalism as well, where they're like, no, we want diversity. We want a black person that agrees with me. And a Chinese person that agrees with me. And also, by the way, uh, they're sacrosanct now because they're a person of color. So you can't criticize them or you're racist. So basically what I want to do is weaponize my beliefs and put it in a position where you're never allowed to criticize them. And like that, I have a problem with. Yeah. Because uh, uh, no, no one's talking about giving Thomas Sowell a, 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 a Nobel Prize in economics. Nobody's talking about putting like no, Deidre McClowski on Joe, the Supreme Joe, Court. Joe Biden, when he nominates, uh, uh, who I assume will be a fantastically qualified woman to that position, will not begin his speech with, in the grand tradition of Clarence Thomas. Yes, uh, exactly. <laughs> that will not be right. a part of, 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 of the speech. Let me ask you something, and this is probably getting us into into uh, uh, dangerous Ooh, waters okay. here. Yeah, right. But when we talk about diversity, and and this is something that I've, I've I've put a little bit of thought into. Are we playing, to, or, or is the goal? Let's say we have diversity, you know, uh, move uh, things right, like uh, uh, practices in place. Is it to a demographic? Is it to like 
all right, in our population, we have 15% African-American, we have 8% Asian, we have whatever, right? Like, is, is that the goal? Is the goal to be representative to population or is it just to, to weight applications of what we understand as historically underserved communities higher than what we understand to be privileged communities. I think it depends on what you're trying to do. Is your, is your goal to attempt to level the playing field and rectify past historical injustices, or is your goal to get multiple viewpoints? These are, they're not necessarily juxtaposed against each or contravened, but, but there is a prioritization that you're going to select ultimately in regards to that. Right. So like if I were putting together a writer's room, yeah, I would be far more concerned about different viewpoints because I'm concerned Mm -hmm. about like, I'm, they're going to be white guy humor is going to make sense to me. Airplane. I don't know what white guy humor would even be. I'm sure I'm dead in the middle of it of like Zucker brothers, whatever that Dave Barry, whatever that is. I'm in that. Right. (laughs) Sure. I would like to like, it's going to be very helpful to our writer's room to have other perspectives, but I would not be thinking in that instance so hard about how to, okay, well, writer's rooms have been dominated by white males and we really need to try and reset the, like, I'm not thinking as hard about that. It might be a good idea as well, but my primary thing would be in that instance to produce the best humor I can, which would be through really funny people. And then after that, through a medley of different perspectives, if you're doing it to rectify past historic injustices, which, you know, is a guy that prefers equality of opportunity over equality of outcome, I think is a a thing we should be striving for. Not everybody has equal opportunity in our country. I would like to have a level playing field for everybody to start at, right? If you're doing that, it would seem to me that it would be better to go socioeconomic than it would be to go demographic. Um, And I think that that's one of the kind of sneaky things that affirmative action can sometimes do where um, if you're, I don't, I think, I think there are policies in place with the big exception of Asian people uh, at Harvard that, that now weights this a little bit better. But at least 10 years ago, my understanding is that a lot of the Ivy league institutions would, would have, you know, a, a, a quota or a diversity system to some extent, but they would be going after like doctor's kids yes. who are black doctor's kids who are whatever, um, and I'm like, well, I, I don't know that that really is what we're going for here. Right. Um, uh, meanwhile, like if you're, if you're poor and you're white, I'm not like, ha ha serves you right. Right. But even then it's like, so we want more poor kids at Harvard. Like, does that make Harvard better? Does that make America better? Does that make, I mean, I, the, I, I the, think Harvard that, is that to, make, to a uh, great uh, extent an elitist classist blood clot. Uh, you think about the amount of people that are there yeah. uh, because they put in a bunch of money or because their dad went there. I mean, that's just straight up snobbery, right? Get rid of that. Like, get rid of that, and then we can talk, right? I would I would much rather lop off the top of people that are not there through merit when you actually make it a meritocratic institution, which it is not. There's good data on this. Harvard is not a meritocratic institution. Uh, I don't know as much about Yale and the other Ivy Leagues, but my guess is they're similar. Um, like, a significant amount of the people there are there because they got in based on data or, or donations. Sure. yeah. Take care of that. And then we can kind of talk about like, what do we want to do? With I guess also things? that's my thing is I don't really care about the Ivy leagues. Like I don't care about, I mean, I don't know, maybe this is my own, my own bias because going to Syracuse next to Cornell, I used to refer to us as their uh, dumber, hotter sister school. Uh, but like, that's funny. I, yeah. I don't, I don't really like, I don't, I don't care. I mean, I don't, I, I guess, I don't know this, I think one of the, the the things that is fascinating to me about any kind of diversity stuff is the gate in which people decide 
this is where we need to diversify. This is where we need to take action to diversify very often says a lot about them because they believe that is a place that will make a difference. And I don't mean that in any kind of negative way. I mean that in a very illuminative uh, way that like, if you believe it's, oh, it's at college that we need to be doing this. It's at elementary school. Mm. It's at high school. It's at Burger King. It's, it's wherever, wherever it, it, it needs to be. I think it, it says that like, you believe this is a choke point that, that this is, this is what, uh, this is a, a glass ceiling that, however you want to describe an underserved community, be it socioeconomic or racial or ethnic or anything in between, uh, that's where we need to poke some holes uh, mm-hmm. to allow, you know, uh, a, a, a difference in there. But I don't, I don't, I don't quite know for me where that line is. I know that I don't care if the poorest person I've ever met in my life goes to Harvard. Yeah. Like, uh, mostly because I don't care much about Harvard, mm. like, but I, I do think that there are, are places in which our society can, you know, help other people along. I, I just, I just don't know where that is. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I returned to like, there, there is that, that difference of, are you, is diversity the goal in and of, is diversity inherently good? Um, if it is, the people militating against it, I would argue, might want to try to increase the number of divergent voices in their newsrooms or in their academic areas in terms of viewpoints, which does not seem to be a big thing right now. It seems to be going much the other direction. Um, if if it is uh, to uh, try, like, and I like, I get I get the argument too of like like for for hiring quotas and things like that. The idea is even if we don't look at the obvious racism that has happened in the history of the country and we just look at people that aren't racist, people do tend to like and trust people that look like them and come from a similar background. And so the idea would be that there is a kind of uh, feedback loop of white male guy going on. I, like, I, I get that. Um, figure out what you're trying to solve for first. Uh, and um, I don't know. I, I Again, I, I just, I'm, I've become a bit disenchanted with some of these arguments for diversity. Uh, and then the other thing I'll add too, is that to get to your point uh, about um, at what level and choke point, I think that that is a really interesting question because a, a kind of like ongoing debate in American history, um, particularly since the civil rights movement. And I think within the democratic party is where this is really the interesting thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think Republicans are arguing about this as much um, is what, what is the primary group that is besieged? Is it race or is it socioeconomic? Bernie Sanders, like, and and if you say socioeconomic, you're not automatically racist. But like Bernie Sanders thinks in terms of class, right? So Bernie yeah. Sanders thinks in terms of there are poor people, which includes white folks in Appalachia and black folks yeah. in Georgia and black people living in slums in New York and 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 Latin Americans, right? But it's a class based thing. Yes, um, with rich people at the top crapping on them, or is it a racial hierarchy? And you do see these two different worldviews. Um, kind of grind. I think you see it more in the Democratic primaries. Um, I'm, I'm sure like when you get into the tent of academic arguments and things that it's more heated there. I, I, I think it's more to do with socioeconomic stuff. Um, racism exists, blah, blah, blah. Like, it, yes, it exists. There's all the, but, but I, I think that I, I, from where I'm looking at, I think that it is more core, like it is more correlation with class than it is like all white people are automatically in a caste and all black people are below that caste and that kind of thing. I don't think the numbers bear out on that. Oh yeah. I mean, I, 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 I 
tend to think. Do I get canceled? I feel like we're in dangerous territory now. I think we are in dangerous territory, but I, I will say that I, I do think that class, look, I, I think that uh, uh, the children of Will Smith and Jada Pinkett gonna be okay. uh, are gonna be going right? to be okay yeah. more than somebody that was like, you know, birthed into a toilet somewhere yeah. like in, in Appalachia. Like, yeah. uh, I, I, I had white. a, so one, one of my ex-girlfriends, I didn't meet her in Oklahoma, but she's from Oklahoma. When this we, isn't going to end with a toilet, is when it? We, no, it's not going to end with a toilet. Uh, but when, when we were dating, she couldn't call her dad because her dad is so poor he doesn't own a phone. Yeah. Not he's a hip guy that believes that social no. media is poisoning your mind. And he, he no, he he's not writing letters with a quill. He doesn't own a phone because yeah. he's that poor, right? And I look at that kind of guy and like, I kind of, I get why that guy's angry because we're like, you have every opportunity in the world, dickhead. Like you're a yeah. white guy. And it's like, well, like, no, he's, he's clearly had a tough time. And then the, the flip side of that, I think to, to like round out the, the now dangerous racial church we're getting into. Um, I think like um, when we get into concepts of privilege, which do exist there, I think that it's frequently mangled in our culture in terms of what we're actually trying to say, because yeah. that guy that I just described, my ex-girlfriend's dad, if we're talking about privilege, I think he would justifiably get angry because he would feel like he had zero opportunity in life and that kind of thing. And a lot of people I find, if you talk about privilege, what they're hearing is you don't deserve the success you've had. If not, not him. We're now talking about somebody else listening to your show, middle-class, yeah. you know, you. upper five figures, six figures, exactly. whoever you are, right? When they hear, you know, you, you, you're privileged and their people aren't privileged. What, what they're hearing is you, you do not deserve the success that you have. It was given to you, which I don't think is the case. I think a, a lot of uh, the, the, the people that get angry about that, justifiably are like, I worked really hard to be where I'm at. Nobody gave me anything. And I'm, I'm not, I'm not discounting that. Um, but I think that it's more like if you're running in a marathon uh, and other people have hurdles in front of them, like you, you ran the marathon, dude, you deserve credit for that. Like, yeah. good, good job. You worked hard. You worked 80 hours a week. I'm not disputing that, but there are people that have hurdles in front of them that couldn't compete in the same capacity. And that's what we're talking about is they didn't have those speed bump and speed bumps and hurdles. And those are the things that we have to breakdown that are part of systemic institutionalized racism. I, I do also think that part of the American uh, uh, way of looking at the world is absence of class. We don't have the same kind of class uh, uh, thoughts. No, we're, uh, we're a lot our, more culturally fluid with class than the British are. Well, certainly. I mean, Jesus, the British yeah. are the, they're the worst <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, when it comes to that, at least. No, it's, you know? it's amazing because you're like, like when I first went to England, like I talked to people that are like millionaires and be like, no, I'm a Cockney. I'm always going to be working class. Yeah. I, I can't do a good Cockney accent. But I was sure. like, like you got a million dollars. Like doesn't count. Well, no, I'm right. Nope. Still go to the wrong. You know, it, it, it's funny. I was listening to, and I forget where, but it was some conversation between, um, Christopher Hitchens and his brother, who would often have, uh, uh, they were on kind of opposite sides of the aisle and they would have sort of debates. But the one thing that they could agree upon was that um, in America, you're American fairly quickly. Like you're American if you own a house in America. Like mm -hmm. Americans, Americans want you to be an American really bad. And so it's like, if you, if you vacation here three, four times a year, we're like, <laughs> dude, you're American. Like you just admit it. Like where in England, if you move to England, like maybe your great grandson's great grandson yeah. would be considered British. Mm -hmm. Like, like you have generations before anybody forgets like, nah, still kind of American, yeah. still kind of, I think class wise, it, it, it's similar. It's like, uh, I mean, you made some money. Good for you. But I don't know. You're still the, I know where your grandfather came from. I don't trust you. Yeah. I, I think that that's, I think that that's pretty accurate. Yeah. But, but I do think that some of that does exist here. And, and uh, uh, I think that 
while we we very much believe in our ability to transcend it, I think that sometimes comes with the the shortcut of believing that they don't exist or that these things don't exist, and that ultimately it is very easy to move from kind of a middle class world to a upper class world in America, where I think it is more difficult to kind of go from a especially an extreme poverty yeah. level to to a, a a middle class world. And since most of the voices including the voices you're hearing right now <laughs> come from either middle class or upper middle class upbringings w- there is not a whole lot of perspective yeah. on 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 that and therefore it is it is just by its very nature sort of under un, under understood I mean I think re- regression to the mean is a phenomenon like yeah. like, like you you are apt to not stray too far from where you were tethered to um, obviously we all want upward mobility and class fluidity to be a thing in the United States. We want people to be able, everybody does. Preferably it. one way. Preferably one. Well, you know what though? Like, I got to say this. If you're like, I don't Not know. For me, I'm if, saying preferably if, if, if one you're, way. If you're some celebrity. Going good now you're, for me. You're some celebrity's kid that doesn't do anything with your life and you're born rich. I hope you piss your money away. And you're, you're like, Damn. like, I don't want you to be poor. I just don't want you to be permanently rich. I want there to be <laughs> a, a ratchet effect where you and your kids go down to being middle class. And then one of them has to like learn a skill or something. Uh, or, or to put it another way, there ought to be room for failure and there ought to sure. be room, room for rebound. Um, uh, the, the, the obligatory stuff I'll add to that because, uh, now I'm going to swing back against Bernie Sanders. Go. So Bernie Sanders will talk about how, and AOC, I'm sure would do this as well, although I can't quote to her, so maybe I'm wrong, but I bet she is. We'll talk about how like ossified our class structure is. And they'll point to like, you know, the, uh, the working class hasn't got a pay increase in 50 years or whatever the thing yeah. is, because they, they think of class as a caste system where yes. you are, you are born a chimney sweep and you yeah. are not allowed to be anything but a chimney sweep. But I was born into the clerical class. So my class, but that's not how that works. Like I make way more money now than when I was 23. Yeah. I wasn't making money when I was 23. But if you were looking at statistically, you would say, ah, all the people making working a or uh, working class jobs uh, are making the same amount. They're not the same people. Like you start in a lower in- income job, you work your way up. If we were living in like an Indian caste system, that would be truly horrifying. But we're not. Yeah. We we do have that fluidity. The vast majority of people are earning more money in their 40s than they were in their 20s. For those who aren't, yeah, that's a thing. We need to we need to work on that. And like one of the things I'll say, like, because this is another reason we do need diversity, right? And I would prefer it be from a socioeconomic background um, or, or being from an intellectual background as opposed to a demographic background. Because somebody like me needs somebody to come in and go, oh, my God, you are so like in in la la land because I, I don't know. I didn't have to deal with that stuff. Right. Like something that I've noticed is uh, when I was in college, one of my really good friends started going to university. He dropped out after a couple of years. Very smart guy, um, mm-hmm. a, a, a polymath. Um, but he just he didn't have the money for it and just didn't really have the the life tool set to just go to the bursar and be like, what are my options here? Yeah. Uh, or, or go to a loan. Like he just didn't know any of that stuff. His parents hadn't gone to college, um, were uh, not supportive in that endeavor. Uh, and like that, I, I've, I've seen that like, like where I think I've got um, obvious privileges. My dad was in the state legislature when I was a kid. So government feels very normal and very comfortable to me. I have no yeah. problem strolling into the ombudsman's office and making an appointment because I want to talk about bike racks or something. That's perfectly normal to me. For a lot of people, they don't know any of that stuff. It's just this kind of big maze of people in suits that are going to look down on them. Um, I think there's a lot of that, um, a, a lot of just not having the same networking capacity or 
um, middle class knowledge and, and that kind of thing. We, we need to work on that. that. That's the thing where we don't want anybody to be stuck there. We, we want, we want it to be an upward mobility. Phenomenon. I think that's, that's the ideal. The, the ideal is that you Again, can unless be you're what the you want. layabout kid of a celebrity. I want you to be yeah, knocked in that down case, to please. six figures. Yeah. Max. You should be forced to wear stone shoes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that that is that is the ideal. The ideal is that you can move according to your merit. You can move according to your effort. You mm. you can you can transcend uh, uh, class and and that again, I do think it happens here more than most places. I think that this is a tremendously rich country that money spills all sorts of places, and we don't necessarily have the same kind of rigid class structure like you were mentioning before. But it is interesting. Uh, Heaton, boy. What a, what a, what a, what a journey. Uh, we covered a lot of ground. We did. We did uh, political orphanage. What do you got coming up? Uh, let's see here. I've got some cool stuff in the works. I just did a, a, uh, an episode on psychedelics that I'm going to commend to your audience. Uh, that was yeah. really fun. I brought on yeah. Sarah Siskin, a very, very funny, uh, comedy writer, but she does a show in New York on psychedelics where she interviews neuroscientists. So she's very informed about it. So it's a, it is a good conversation where you learn stuff from a very funny person, uh, about psychedelics. Then I brought on Ayla, who is a high-end, uh, I'm trying to get my, my uh, uh, OnlyFans person, okay. uh, what, what, what some people might call a cam girl, sure. uh, and a former escort. Gets naked on the internet. Gets naked on the internet, yeah. and did LSD every week for a year. And I found out about that and was like, I would love to tell, talk to you about what the hell that's like. And so did a, just a fun episode on psychedelics that uh, is a, a good blend. You'll learn some stuff, but it's a fun episode. So I'd, I'd recommend that to your, your audience. It's funny how psychedelics uh, in terms of the legal framework is kind of somewhere in between. Like before, I feel like when we were growing up, it used to be among the scariest drugs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and oh, because you were going to like, like, there's a great, uh, I think it's Bill Hicks, like, because you were going to, you know, do LSD and jump out a window because you think you could fly. And Bill Hicks is like, if you thought you could fly, why would you start on the second floor? <laughs> 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 right? why, why would you just go out in your yard? Yeah. Yeah. And just try to fly from there. Uh, uh, and now I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's the between the fentanyl and the and the and the mm. opioids that now we, we've had like a reordering of like yeah. the scariest possible drugs. Where yeah, plus I think like the big win for acid and cocaine. The, the the elite have all been doing drugs. Like like all the people that are now running the law probably dropped acid when they were in college, you know, or did yeah. mushrooms a couple. Of, like I'll say like real quick, like I hung out with a lot of Republicans when I was on the Hill, and they all smoked pot when they were in college. Like whatever they whatever they were telling the whatever constituents, they, were saying, yeah. they all smoked pot in college, if not later. Uh, and, uh, and then there too, the, just the data is a lot better now, right? Like when, when Dennis Leary was, was I'm thinking of the right guy, Dennis Leary. Um, uh, no, Timothy, Leary. Timothy Leary. Thank you. Dennis, Dennis Leary. Leary. Dennis Similar, Leary. but different. Uh, speaking of ripping off Bill Hicks. Yeah. 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 Um, uh, with, with Timothy Leary was doing it, there was a real panic about it and it was bending reality and all that. And, and now we can look and go, oh yeah. Like, like we, we, we know that psychedelics do not have inherently addictive properties the way alcohol, uh, opiates, uh, tobacco, nicotine do. Um, we know that it's a lot more difficult to OD on them if that's even possible than it is with these other substances in a way that I, I think just the, the data is really difficult. I mean, like there's still smart, well, I would disagree with them. There are smart cases to be made that you shouldn't, um, they, they need to remain controlled and prohibited, et cetera, et cetera. But it's very difficult to make a, a medical case that they are somehow worse or more dangerous than fentanyl. Uh, oh or, my God. Yeah, I mean, yeah. fentanyl, I mean, geez, the, uh, fentanyl, you, you're not going to. You don't tend to dabble in fentanyl. It's not like you're 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 drinking a beer. You're like, I'll, I'll just have a little bit of fentanyl after work, and then yeah, maybe I'll drive to the club. Uh, 
I've Go to always, the Elks Lodge. I've always heard the stories or I've heard, heard the maxim that like every drug has a casual user. Like, yeah, okay. That, that there is somebody out there that, well, number one, uh, uh, spoiler alert for anyone who's ever read a magazine or watched an advertisement, but there is very casual cocaine use in, in yeah. those, in those fields that are, that, that is just a normal, regular work a day cocaine use. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if that's the case with fentanyl just because it is so potent. But then again, you never know. Yeah. If know. you're a casual fentanyl user, uh, please uh, check write out in the, the show, show yeah. theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Uh, uh, I'm glad I gave out the email address and not the P.O. box. Uh, Heaton, thank you so much. Thank you. And that'll wrap it up for us today. Politics, Politics, Politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. Thank Heaton for being on the show. I know he's been on a lot, but everybody likes a compliment. px3guest.com. That is letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com. You want to email the show? Do it. Theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Send the show a tweet at px3tweets. You can see me live on the internet, px3live.com, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Friday mornings. Our podcast can be shared with your friends, family, and uh, clergy at px3podcast.com. And of course, our merch can be found at politicsmerch.com. Somebody got a tapestry. All right. They sell tapestries. All of our art you can put on mugs and, and shirts and all sorts of stuff. But they also sell tapestries. Somebody bought a tapestry of all powers, future power. Which is amazing. I'm going to need to see a picture of the all power power is future power tapestry and where it goes up. Of course, you can always support us at paypal.me slash pay jury with a one-time donation. Same thing with Venmo, Justin-Young-20. The cash app is PX3Cash. And you can hit us with anything physical in the mail. P.O. Box. 153184 Austin, Texas 78715 again PO Box 153184 Austin, Texas 78715 just make sure you make it out to your old pal Justin Robert Young and of course the uh, only way you can get bonus content is by heading on over to takepoliticsseriously.com $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering Ow, the news that we missed on our free podcast schedule and the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Idris Arslandian, DJ Katie Mack, Neemeister, Dr. G, Admiral Flapjack, Utah Jimmy Montana, Edmund Pluribus Unum, Pete Spicetti, 70s TV salesman or spy. D. Really and vote for Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. Zombie Doc, Edison, no mention on the podcast, please. Dot com junkie, DP4 Bongo, Jewish Lives Matter, 100 Mile Runner, Staff Sergeant, Poopers, Berkeley Steven, Diana's Silent Slumbers, Katie Stetch, Adam L. Double K Ranch, EO Pinball Shop, John, The Opposing Thumbs for Dogs Foundation, Super Zoomy, Neil. Charles, Darren, Olin and Angela, DL, Steven, Chad, Matt, Miranda, Janelle, 
Chief MD, Robert, Casey, Paul, Dustin, Richard, D. Laser, just another pilot, middle age, Mike, the Gen, J. Pink, and Andrew. You want your name read amongst them? Would you? Huh? I would. I mean, I can, I can read my name because I do the podcast. I say my name all the time, so I guess I don't need it. But if you would like to, you should head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Until next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics and still more discuss politics. But this is the only show that dares discuss Oh, Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.